Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Unsustainable. I'm Sean Cross. This is episode 9 for June the 14th. I keep nearly saying the 15th because I went to bed on the 14th and I woke up. And obviously I woke up on the 14th because I went to bed so late, which is one of the things I want to talk about because that kind of behavior isn't sustainable. But first, I want to talk about something that... I think about a lot and there's so much, there's so much talk around this, there's so much talk around this that it's so easy to kind of just let it become noise and that's veganism, diet, diet in a way that helps humanity. So the, every year there's this big vegan push, which is great because it's, it's like charity based and it's informing people and it's getting people to to think about what they eat. Veganuary is a way of sort of promoting learning about a different diet. Amazing. For the last couple of years, there's been this thing about um, about sustainable, uh, regenerative agriculture, in particular beef. And it's it's this thing is you know brought by for-profit companies, um, butchers. Uh, some sort of, I, I can't remember the details. I, I wrote a big long piece about it. I'll, I think it's up somewhere. I'll, I'll try and find it and I'll link it in the show notes in the in the description down below. But basically, what they're trying to do is say, oh no, veganism's really bad, and they talk a lot about like avocados being really bad for the environment, and then they talk about how good beef can be for the environment. And I get it. That's their livelihood. They want to. They want to kind of, sort of soften the blow of more people turning vegan because they need, you know, they need not only people to be buying meat, but for the to be overwhelming public support for meat and dairy, because, and I, I feel like there's there's a chance of this being seen as me being preachy about something. I don't eat meat or dairy really but i'm i'm not a vegan because i i wear wool nearly all of it is like second hand you know from charity shops and stuff like that but that still kind of counts me out of being a vegan i will eat even though i think eggs are particularly disgusting i will eat them for example when my partner's mum makes cakes she makes them often with the eggs from the chickens that she keeps in her garden I quite like cake sometimes it's one or two times a year that we that we see them I'm gonna eat I'm gonna eat it even though I think eggs are genuinely disgusting I would never use eggs myself to make stuff I hate 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 the taste of them really really hate the taste of, of them but they have this incredible property when you cook with them that they do this thing i'm kind of i came around uh, recently to the mindset that we should try as hard as we can to not think about these things that are from animals as food which is like the main argument that i would believe in against like having chickens in your back garden and and you know using the eggs that they produce not because like oh it's bad for the chickens that you take the eggs we just kind of shouldn't look at animals and go mm, tasty so 
that's that's where I sort of that's a little bit of backstory on on that. So not hugely vegan. For example, another one. The other day, we accidentally bought some biscuits that had milk in because we'd been buying them up until now, and then they they started putting milk in them. Katie is allergic to milk. My partner Katie is allergic to milk, so she just couldn't eat them. She had one biscuit and she was like, "It tastes a bit funny." Looked on the back. They've got milk in them. We weren't going to just... I, I couldn't bring myself to just be like, right, in the bin. So I ate them. They, you know, I'm not going to throw something away if it's if it's already in my possession. But I certainly am not going to actively go and seek out these things. Uh, another thing is within my job, creating videos, doing food photography, I have to work with meat so sometimes I have to purchase crazy steaks and, and big bits of meat and stuff like that I don't love doing it but I'm at a point in my in my career where these there's certain jobs that I've got that I've had for a little while and they they don't where I might not necessarily agree with the the materials or the the practices i have to live off that and at the moment i can't afford not to especially with the with the pandemic so unfortunately it challenges my beliefs on a somewhat daily basis it's unfortunate but it happens so yes backstory i don't feel particularly like i've got skin in the game with this you know this uh, it was re-january this thing that was like against veganuary so veganuary is this this thing where we try and and bring the price down you know people try and bring the price down for vegan products they try to inform people about the choices out there inform people about you know the advancements that have come along like milk since the first time i tried some soy milk 15 years ago to to what i like would drink now that's a big difference I think you know the oat milk that w that we can get for super cheap now that just didn't exist back then or at least not in the way that it does now you know there's meat replacements there's there's all sorts of stuff that's like if you want a dirty burger you know some dirty chicken burger you can get you know you can get the the fake chicken the fake breaded chicken or the fake whatever it is you can get the fake cheese you can get all these things and you can make something that's like super, super tasty. And, you know, you can choose not to not to be a part of the sort of wholesale slaughter, murder of these sentient beings. Which I think the fact that I'm saying that already is going to put some people off and say, well, you're just like vegan activists and that. I'm not. I eat honey. I don't eat a lot. But I don't have, I don't feel a strong moral objection to honey. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that one. If if I am, like hit me up on on Instagram. The links are in the, um, you know, in the in the show notes. So um, so you can you can find me and and hit me up on there and tell me why maybe I shouldn't be eating honey. I've yet to see a super convincing argument against it. But at some point, you know, I I hadn't seen a, a super convincing argument against eating beef. <laughs> right, I feel like I keep back backtracking and getting off on tangents. The difficult thing for me to see when this this sort of butchers 
I don't know if it was like a conglomerate of butchers that kind of got together and said, look, here's the thing that we want to do and show, or whether it was just like one company or, or whatever it was. As, as I said, I wrote this big long piece about it. It's six months ago now, so I've, I forgot the bullet points. By doing that, they are making, um, they're making a stand against progress. Look, you can, as a, you know, as a farmer, you can sort of go, right, let's do this in the best way we can while still doing what is effectively a bad thing. We can do it in a way that harms the environment a little bit less. Now, they kind of spin it as, well, actually, farm beef is, is regenerating the environment because, you know, uh, grass-fed beef on, you know, grazing land and being moved about, it takes carbon out of the, you know, out of the atmosphere and, and the way that we farm, it, it captures that back into the soil because the cows eat the grass and they shed it out and, and that go, they churn that back into the soil. All well and good, brilliant. Just don't kill them afterwards then. Just let them be. If you need cows to, to capture, sequester carbon from the atmosphere, you know, it gets into the grass, they eat the grass, they shit it out, they trample it back in. If you need cows to do that, why not just not kill them at the end of it? Let them live, you know, the, I can't remember what the lifespan of a cow is, but it's definitely more than two years, which is the age at which they are killed around there. You could fact check me on this and, and prove me wrong on a lot of these sort of smaller points, but you know, you could say the same thing about if you had people working, uh, you know, working your land. I need these people to work my land, so I need to kill them at the end of it. Well, you probably don't. And if it wasn't legal to kill these beings at the end of, you know, at the end of their useful life, then you just wouldn't. You would probably keep less of them. You, but if you were genuinely the thing that you were trying to do was to genuinely help the planet and it wasn't to do with profit, you would just let them live, let them, let them graze, keep them as pets. If that was your, if that was your goal was this like, and this is how they sell it. Like we're the eco warriors here. The ones who, who own these cows, we're the eco warriors. We're sequestering this carbon and we're changing the environment for the better. You're not. Because the amount of land that we would need to do that kind of farming on a global scale to feed the demand, the current demand for beef, is more than there is land available on the planet. So just let them graze. And, you know, if maybe we hadn't had the, the wholesale murder of uh, buffalo back when the Europeans were trying to fuck about with the uh, Native Americans, then the, you know, the carbon sequestration from that would have been huge. You know, hundreds of, hundreds of millions, millions, a lot of them. You've seen the picture with the pile of buffalo skulls. If you haven't, go search for pile of buffalo skulls and you'll see what I mean. So it's not, it, it's about them. It's about these farmers, butchers, whatever, trying to, to stay making money. Which, again, the flip side of this, the sustainable side of this, 
the sustainability for them to, you know, feed their kids or whatever is to carry on making money. You can't really argue with that. But then in the same way, you know, you see someone like, there's a, there's a bit of a meme of it, Ben Shapiro saying like, yeah, the water's going to rise, but if you live next to the coast and the water starts rising, you're just going to sell your house and get out of there. To who? If the meat industry starts dying, get into another industry. I was just watching uh, a program on Amazon Prime. Morgan Spurlock did this like three three season run of a series where he investigates a different part of our culture every episode. And, and the one recently was unions. And there was this confrontation outside of Walmart where this old couple walked up to the, the people who were on strike because they wanted you know a union to get better pay and benefits and stuff like that. And the guy was like, oh, just you knew this was a shit job. Just go and find a better job. Right, okay, well... If you, as a farmer, uh, would struggle without subsidies, then maybe you should go and find a, a better job and maybe those subsidies should go to, to people who are growing food, actually growing food for people to eat. Healthy food in a way that you know is healthy for the planet. And keep animals. Keep animals and, and that's another thing where... I would struggle to call myself a vegan because I think it's absolutely fine to, you know, if you've got this this like land and you want to keep some cows on there and, and you just literally just want to do it because you like fucking love cows and you're just like, those guys, look at them and they sequester carbon from the, the atmosphere. Have at it. Keep them cows. It's the same thing about pets. Like, own a pet. That's fine. I think there's there's some sort of people on the extreme side of veganism who, you know, don't agree with owning pets, things like that. But if you want to, you know, if you want some chickens in your back garden, fuck it, go for it. But don't say, don't try and say that that you are eating meat to help the environment. You're not. You're eating meat because you fucking love the taste of it. You love the taste of a little bit of flesh. And that's, that's your that's your argument. You're going, right, that thing can be tortured and killed because I like burgers. And if if you if you say to me, I am happy with that trade-off, my sensory pleasure, hmm, yummy, is worth more than that animal's life. Not just its point of death, but its long-term suffering. If you're like, yeah. That's absolutely fine. I am that kind of person. Then I've got no argument with you. Because there is no argument against that. If you see that 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 is the way the world works and you're like, yep, suffering versus sensory pleasure. I mean, it's a lot of suffering for not a lot of sensory pleasure. Then go for it. Fucking go for it. I don't see it like that. And there's a lot of people who, who don't. And... Most people don't see it like that. Most people see it as like a right or a convenience or, you know, this like idea of like this new wave of people who's like regenerative farming. And it's, it, they, you know, people said that it was proven that regenerative farming would save the planet. And then other people who didn't have a vested interest looked into it and were like, no, 
It genuinely won't. Not unless we drastically cut down the amount of meat people eat. And I mean drastically. And then there's the other thing that is problematic with the vegan discourse and it's intersectionality. And what I mean by this is there are people in this world who for cultural or logistical or some other reason that are never gonna be able to be vegan in a West, a very Western sense and leave them the fuck alone is what I think. There are people, and, and I've been learning this on, on TikTok because that's where I learn things now. There are people in the world who are genuinely still hunter-gatherers. There are people in this world who live in places that are remote enough. And I'm not talking like undiscovered tribe in the Amazon. I'm talking about people who, who don't live where there's deliveries of stuff. They don't, they, you know, the, the people that I'm kind of talking about at the moment are people in South America and people in North America who are on, is reservations the right word? I feel like I'm getting that wrong. I'm trying with my, I'm trying my best not to, but in these communities where there are indigenous people who have lived off the land and have been given that land back to them after having it fucking wrenched from them. So I just wanted to add a little bit to this. Since I recorded the actual podcast, I've been just doing some more reading around um, like indigenous uh, people and veganism. So indigenous people always sort of struggle with that sort of concept because uh, you know most people are indigenous to somewhere, but what I mean by indigenous is people who were there before some sort of colonization. Uh, and this one's specifically about, as well as titled, Indigenous Veganism, Feminist, Natives, Dewey, Tofu. And basically, I think it's looking at yeah, Aboriginals and veganism. And the things that I think I got wrong in this podcast are that veganism is inherently like seen as like a, a, you know equated with whiteness and as a result aboriginal vegans are assumed to be inauthentic and assimilated and there's you know this goes on to to sort of make some some points about that what someone's someone's like joke about it is what do you call a native vegetarian his answer a very bad hunter the implication is that for aboriginals choosing a non-meat diet is a kind of cultural failure the second barrier to aboriginal veganism is it in its portrayal as a product of class privilege opponents claim that a vegan diet is an indulgence and the poor amongst whom aboriginal people are disproportionately represented can't afford to be so picky this assumes that vegans can eat highly processed uh, assumes that vegans eat highly processed food products and it overlooks the economic and environmental costs of meat and assumes that subsidized meat and dairy industries in North America are representative of the entire world. So this is looking at people in the places that I've been talking about. The difference is, I think, what I was, the, the sources that I was learning from were the people on the other side of this argument. And as much as you can go 
to what you perceive to be the source. So I went to the place that I perceived to be the source, which was these videos made by these guys who were uh, indigenous to North America. They were people who looked after the, you know, looked after the land and the land basically fed them, fed them back is kind of how they were portraying it. And they were saying that veganism is this like white influx and it's, it's the people who, who sort of ruined the system and then they're, they're kind of coming back from it, like I said in this podcast. What I haven't done is I haven't delved deep enough into this yet. As I say, you know, I'm still looking at it. I'm not portraying this as me knowing everything. I'm saying this is what I've learned this week. So it's really interesting to see this. I'm going to link this article because it's, it's, a, it's an interesting read, although I'm only halfway through it. And also I don't want to read out the names because I have no pr pronunciation guide. So I'll, I'll get them wrong. Yeah, I'll link this below. It's, as I said, called Indigenous Veganism, Feminist Natives Do Eat Tofu. I think it's really interesting. It doesn't necessarily void the things that I said, but hopefully the things, I'm gonna put this in before I say them because I think it's more important for you to see this and, and have the context for where I was at two hours ago when I was recording this. I think that's important, so I'm gonna put this in before and you'll see what I mean when I, when I, you know, when I carry on. They are not necessarily living in a, they're living in accordance with the land. They aren't part of this huge agricultural machine. They aren't part of this world where the value of a life is almost nothing. And as a result, this Western sort of notion of, of veganism being a lofty goal doesn't work. And that's fine. Because going to them and saying, you need to respect your animals, you need to not eat that, is really fucking condescending. It's also really deeply entrenched in like white supremacy. Like we know better. We know better than you. And, and the reason we kind of, we kind of think that we're better than them is because we went from, from that, the, the place that they're at still, and because we went past that in a way that was completely damaging to, to society, to, to the environment, to the planet, we went from being people who, you know, kept animals and, and looked after some land and killed those animals ourselves and ate them. And, and there was a trade off and there was, we had to really think about it. We went from that to subsidized giant agriculture where animals are treated as numbers and they're just treated so badly. And now as, as like Western sort of white, predominantly uh, Western white culture, we're sort of now circling back and saying, hold on a second, what we've just been doing is wrong. But what you can't do from that new point is you can't look back to the people who never got on board with the you know agro business agro business and and say you're wrong for what you're doing now because they didn't cause the damage if we'd all stayed living within our 
sustainable means, living like those people who you know are more in touch with with the um, with nature, with you know the environment. If we'd all stayed like that, we wouldn't be in this problem. We wouldn't be having this problem now. And so you can't. You you can only use this like modern veganism thing on the people who are benefiting from this massive like industrial revolution of agriculture. At least that's the way I see it. So long story short, <laughs> I don't necessarily call myself a vegan, but that's potentially more of like a me being brutally honest with the outside, like outwardly brutally honest, where I probably could be like, yeah, I'm vegan. Well, I've slipped up a couple of times where I think it's better for me to say I'm not actually a vegan, but this, this and this, <laughs> which is it's kind of confusing. And obviously it's it's not something that I bring into conversations, really. I don't tend to preach about it unless someone asks me about it. I don't tend to preach about it, which is kind of kind of the way things go. What was I going to talk about next? Yeah, the other thing that I was going to talk about. So that what I've just talked about was definitely entrenched full-on environmental sustainability. What I want to talk about now is the sustainability of running a small business and the things that we do when we fuck up. Like, not necessarily big fuck up, but like fuck up because of the way we have implemented a routine or the way that we haven't in particular. So I know I'm not alone in this. I know that I'm not the only one who does this. But sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I've got undiagnosed ADHD, undiagnosed because the doctors won't give you a test for it unless you like really, really badger them. But it's one of them things like if you if you look at the symptoms, you look at the the way that it you know that it affects you and affects your daily life. I've got it. I thought I was dyslexic as well for the longest time. Like I was basically told I was dyslexic, and I don't think I am. And that's, I've talked about this in a previous podcast. And so I'm not just piling on like, oh yeah, I'm dyslexic. I've got anxiety. I've got this, I've got this. What I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out how my mind works. You need to find out these things. You need to kind of go, well, am I, you know, am I dyslexic or do I have ADHD? Because then you've got the search terms and you've got the, you've got the, the little bit of knowledge then. It's like, if you've got, you've got a headache, everyone's like, headaches, mate. Everyone gets them, fine. And then you, you're you like, no, this is this is different to usual. And then everyone's like, no, no, it's fine, mate. Just just deal with it. And you kind of go, nope. I'm going to go get this looked at. And then someone tells you, oh, this is actually, it's not headaches, it's migraines. And you go, okay, well, taking a little bit of paracetamol for that isn't the best thing in you know, you, you go and do a, a search or you tell the doctor, I've got a headache and you're going to get a certain set of responses. But a migraine is not distinctly, if you don't know what a migraine feels like versus a headache, it's not distinctly different. And so you're looking at the, the diagnosis and the prognosis and, and the treatment for a headache and it's not right for you. Finding out that it's migraine, finding out that it's, that it's something different, that it's not just a typical headache, is going to help you. It's going to help you understand how to deal with that, how to treat it, and you know, and and what the causes could be. It's the same with things like ADHD. 
I could just be like, oh yeah, I find it difficult to to concentrate on things unless there's a sound. And someone's just like, yeah, you just you just love listening to podcasts, so you just want a podcast on, just like fucking deal with it, or just you know grow up and don't always have to be listening to something. And they'd be like, all oh, right, yeah, okay, maybe I should. And then I like try to do it in silence, you know, try to do some tasks in silence and I can't do them and I end up getting really anxious. Whereas knowing that if I search for information about ADHD and I find out that actually this is a common thing within people who have ADHD, I can then go, well, actually it's perfectly viable for me to need this external stimulus that helps get me going and get into a task. And then once I'm in that task, if I find it sufficiently interesting, I don't need the outside stimulus anymore. And that's okay. And I know how to manage that then because I've, you know, I've identified that I've got ADHD and there's many, many other things in there that, that makes, you know, that make it just a really helpful thing to have a label on something. People are like, oh, you know, we didn't have all these when, when I was young, you're like, well, you didn't have labels for them. You just put people in a fucking nut house for anything. And you're just like, he's not right. Why is he not right? Tell, you know, find out why. And maybe you can help that person. So that's kind of bullshit. But the thing with ADHD, one of the things it does to you, especially as someone who, who runs a business or it kind of, it, it was like this in university as well and maybe college to a lesser extent, definitely not in high school because high school treats you differently, especially if you, especially if you enjoy learning and you have ADHD. Being in high school is almost like the best because you've got like an hour. So high school is in UK high school, which is, what's that? It's like when you, you leave when you're 16. So before in the US, do they call high school the bit after that? So high school's like college, which is like 17, 18, and then university is college, isn't it? Wow, that's confusing. Never really thought about that in depth. Yeah, so between the ages of seven and 16 or whatever it is, high school, you have these hour long blocks where you learn one thing and then you move on to the other thing. That's brilliant. If you love learning and you've got ADHD, that's almost the perfect scenario. Whereas in in college, it's a similar setup, but it's a lot more like self-directed. And, you know, you've not got someone sort of hovering over you. That accountability is, is often what helps in high school. So college, university, and also, you know, starting your own business or being within a business where you are someone who has to be like a self-starter. So for me, running my business, I often end up, even though I've got the best intentions to do stuff, as soon as it comes in or as soon as I'm I'm able to do it, stuff gets left till the last minute. And that really annoys me when I actually let it happen. So it doesn't always happen because I'm, I'm in control of it. In the same way that I'm in control of being tidy. I'm a messy person by nature, but keep things tidy for the most part because I make sure that I have a place for everything. I've got a process. And that is the same thing with, you know, with work, with projects. 
project comes in, I have a process where I, you know, I, I create accountability throughout that process. Sometimes it slips. For example, last night I went to bed after five o'clock. The sun had been up for like two hours. And that's all because I have this skewed perception of time. And for some reason, I'd messed up. I thought that the work was due at the end of today. The work wasn't due at the end of today. The work was due yesterday. Or at least by the end of play yesterday, so it could be there for the first thing today. So at about nine o'clock last night, I started a full working day. Sunday night, started a full working day. Went to bed at five o'clock in the morning. I don't sleep well. So when I went to bed at after five o'clock in the morning, I woke up at half nine. That's not good. So now I feel like shit, but because I feel like shit, I'm having a really productive day. That's because of ADHD, because I know, <laughs> I think this is how it works anyway. I know how bad I feel. So I just keep being like, oh, just do the one thing. So I got stuck in this loop before and that could have been the end of my day, about sort of one o'clock in the afternoon. And what it was, was I got some boxes, storage boxes in this room. And I had like 12 items in the other room. I tidied it, I tidied the rest of the other room up. But there's these like 12 items there. And I honestly kept looking at them and walking into here and then walking back and looking at them. And all they needed to do was pick them up and put them in the, between these two different boxes. So they needed to be sorted and they needed to be moved from the other room. But because, because my brain was like, oh, you can't pick them all up at once. And also you need to see the boxes in here to know which ones to sort. So what I couldn't, I genuinely had this like mental block where I couldn't pick up one, I couldn't pick up the items because I couldn't sort them in there, but I couldn't pick them all up at once. And it sounds insane. It sounds genuinely insane. But I couldn't do it. And I kept, I must have walked it in and out 10 times. And I looked at them, and not heavy things. They're literally, like some of them were pieces of paper. I looked at them and came back in here. Looked at them, came back in here. And in the end, I had to like, do something I learned off TikTok actually, because I've been learning about ADHD on TikTok as well. I went in and I was like, just move, pick one of those things up and walk it into here. And then it broke the spell. And I just, I ended up just doing the rest of them and it was fine. But it's, it's to anyone who's neurotypical, hearing that they're like, what? I don't understand. Just, just pick some of the bits up and bring them in here and sort them, go back and grab some more. But it's like me saying to you, I oh, see that like seven foot wall that's that's covered in olive oil. Just just climb it, and get over it. You'd be like, I can't. You've seen it. I can't. I can't do that. And that's almost what it's like until you realise that taking one of them things is like a little hack that's tantamount to like turning around and being like, oh shit, there's a ladder there. Let's grab that and put it up against the olive oil wall. That's that's the the reality of you know living with something that 
doesn't affect me most of the time. Like I've, I've got these coping mechanisms now that, you know, as a 33 year old, nearly 34 year old human, I've managed to like put in place things that make it so that I don't have to like think about, you know, I don't have to think about that little hack. So it's, it's like the tidy, the tidy, you know, having stuff that goes in boxes that are organized. Usually what I do is I have boxes that I can bring out, do the thing and then put it back and then put the box back. Because if I don't do that, then I'll put something on the side and it, it becomes invisible, which is another like ADHD issue where your like object permanence is like skewed. And so you'll put something down and it'll be there for six months because you put it, you put it down and, and then it just kind of, it becomes invisible, which is exacerbated by aphantasia. And aphantasia, aphantasia is that thing that I spoke about previously where in a, in a previous podcast where I don't have a visual component to my imagination. So, you know, someone's like, oh, imagine this. I can't. A really, really interesting extra bit to that, and I can't remember if I talked about this last time, is why I'm trash at music. And so for most people, I didn't realize this until very, very recently, but for most people, they, I mean, maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but I've spoke to some people about this now. And when they think of a song, so for example, if I said, oh, think of uh, Jolene, Dolly Parton, that song with the music sort of plays in their head. Not for me. That's not what happens. If I think of that song, either I think about it completely abstractly and I'm like, the name, and that's, that's kind of it. And, I, you know, the, the trivia kind of circles in my mind. Or if I want to think about the actual song, in my head, it's me, my inner monologue. So me, in my voice, with no instruments, singing that song so it's the worst karaoke you've ever heard in my head that's why i don't think about music because it's me and if anyone if anyone knows me they know how bad i am at singing imagine that the only if the only way you could hear a song was if you sang it yourself with no instruments and that's what happens in my head and I wish I had a visual component because I, I would just imagine that it was me just like kind of clapping my hands, being like, Jolene, 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 Jolene. Yeah, there's a little taste of how bad I am at singing. But that's what happens. So being neurotypical must be fun. Just having a normal brain. I I unfortunately don't. I don't see these things as like, as disabilities though or and that's not me just being like oh i'm positive I, I don't see it as a disability this is me going no i genuinely don't see it as a disability like the it's kind of like if you if you grew up with and you never had you know never had uh, one of your legs and you'd always had some sort of prosthetic and and you can get prosthetics that do different things you can get a blade cool is that um so you you have these coping mechanisms you have this thing you've never known any different coping mechanism plus thing that you don't know any different equals not being a disability it's just something that's different to other people 
It's not... It doesn't disable you in any way. It just... It, it's just... Different. And so, yeah. It's unsustainable to not have these... These tricks and these... These routines and these ways of working with you know with my brain uh, and unfortunately sometimes it gets it gets fucked up like it did last night and that's not that's not going to last i couldn't carry on like that i used to do the first time i was at uni doing undergrad that's what i was like i would just stay up till well two days in a row because i couldn't sleep and i'd try and work and i'd try and figure it out it never worked properly but, you know, you grow up, you find out how these things work, and things get better. So, yeah, that is... That's all, all I've got for today. I could carry on talking, I'm sure, but this has probably already gone on long enough. Thank you very much for listening. I, I don't think you quite understand how, how much I appreciate it if you got to this point in the, in the video or in the, the podcast. And if you don't know, there is, uh, you know, an audio version and a video version you can listen to or watch, watch and listen. And whichever one you're watching or listening to, down below it should be a link to the other one. I try not to do anything that's particularly visual, but you know, maybe you just want to listen to this on YouTube and and have me in the background. Beautiful face. Um. But yeah, I I am eternally grateful to anyone who gets to this point because, well, because I talk a lot of drivel and I'm sure that this isn't a brilliant podcast yet, but it'll get there and, you know, practice makes perfect. Cheers, guys. See you next time. Ah, stop saying guys. Cheers, folks. See you next time.